0: Okay. All right. All right. We're here with uh, Nicholas Tabarrok.
1: Hello.
0: So tell us, who are you and what do you do?
1: Uh, well, I am, as you just said, I'm Nicholas Tabarrok. I'm a uh, film and television producer. Um, that's what I do. That's what you do. That's who I am.
0: Now, I, I heard a rumor, Nicholas, that you actually started out in the business before you became a producer as a production accountant. Is that it's
1: my shame. It's my shameful past that I try to keep hidden, that you've unearthed.
0: I, I have. I have. <laughs> it wasn't too hard. I just looked at IMDb. That's right.
1: Yeah. Um, there's no secrets anymore, right? Um, yes. I started out in the business. Even before that, I started out as a PA, and then I was a production accountant, and I was a production manager, and I was a line producer, always with a goal and to an end and end goal of being a producer I never I never wanted to be any of those things for very long they were always a step along the way and um, so I grew up so to speak on the physical production side of the business that's where my start was
0: and when you were when you were doing the production accounting a lot of the times there are there are different routes into producing yes many um, did you find that production accounting specifically was for you? the best way in or just did it just happen to be the way in was it a conscious choice that No. that's the way
1: no what it was was it was actually you know in retrospect looking backwards not the best way in it was actually starting out on the physical side and learning how to physically make a movie uh, plays very little part of what I do now and actually though, those skills which I sort of spent 10 years developing don't really come into play that often anymore the, the, the analogy that I give that 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 people can grasp much easier is if you're a real estate developer, if you're, you know, Donald Trump, you don't need to know how to mix cement and hammer and nail, right? What you need to know how to do is work with banks and borrow money and work in municipalities and zoning laws and all that. That's what the developer does. For me, I'm a real estate developer who started mixing cement and punching nails and building buildings, you know? So that was my beginning. And, and to answer your question... Um, I didn't deliberately go that route. It was just, you know, the, the Canadian industry doesn't have where I started. The, the Canadian industry doesn't have the, um, the mailroom culture that we have that, that is down here. It doesn't have a, the idea of starting in a mailroom, becoming an assistant going from an assistant to becoming a junior executive at Columbia it just doesn't exist it's not a big enough industry to support that kind of infrastructure so it was the only way I knew how and it was the only way I could get a job in the business a foothold in the business was to go work on actual films being made in Canada
0: would you have done it differently now
1: oh, 100% 100% what, sorry what, I, mean, I cut you off no
0: now. no what, what? that's the question what would you have done differently right. today had you
1: so, start from what, out? so from what I know now go back and do it all over again I wouldn't spend a day on set I would have started my very first moment in career working in an office, working for a production company or studio or agency. I would have done the mailroom route. And When I say the mailroom route, I'm using that as a sort of shorthand to mean that pathway working in an office because producing isn't about what happens on set. Producing is about what happens in an office long before that. Producing is about making phone calls developing material it's all about who can I get to read my script who can I call that's going to answer my phone that I can send this project over to Um, and you know spending time hiring crew and looking at budgets and working on cost reports and doing deals on camera equipment and all that none of that comes to play you know what I mean I mean Jerry Bruckheimer probably doesn't know any of that stuff. I mean, maybe he does. I have no idea. But my point is he doesn't need to know all of that stuff, nor does Scott Rudin. Those guys don't need to know any of that stuff. They don't need to know how the film is made to do what they do really well.
0: Now, your career, I mean, looking at the films that you've, did, that you've done, you, and you've done quite a number of, you know, uh, uh, in recent years, very successful indie-flavored films, and those films just seem to be taking on a life of their own as they right. continue to... What seems to be growing in both scope, yes. uh, talent uh, uh, actors um, but it seems to be that and you can I, I want you to talk about this a little, a little bit. It seems to be that it was after you did Weirdsville that the, your career kind of took a change and uh, would you say that that was the defining point in your career to? to uh, we'll, I'd like to talk about something yeah. that you've done but w- was was that the film that sort of changed things for you or would you say there was an earlier point
1: in time it's funny uh, I've never thought of that or noticed that before until um, so you brought it up you I think I think it's more I think the answer is yes but not cause and effect I think it's more coincidental to that I think Weirdsville was sort of a um, a point in my career which I you were right. that Weirdsville was the point of my career that I... Because there's a while there in order to make a go of things and make a living and, and and keep a small staff that I was doing a lot of line producing and service producing at the same time. So I produced my own movie and then also go out and be a hired gun for someone else. Weirdsville was the point... And I've done it once or twice since then because it is a you know, a revenue generating, rent paying kind of thing. But Weirdsville was the point at which I really said, okay... I, I am a producer, I am an indigenous producer, I am making my own material, I am owning material, I'm developing material, I'm no longer working for other people. Um, so it wasn't so much that that film itself changed the whole lot for me, it was more that that just happened to be the route along the road at which I kind of changed things for myself. Does that make sense?
0: No, it was right along around that time, I think it was right after that, that you were uh, on the variety yeah, yeah. to watch. Yeah, yeah. Was it this magical, defining moment, like the the, the water party? <laughs> yeah. You were on that list, and all of a sudden, you know, things started happening. But, like, I, I, I am curious now. Yeah. Did making that list change anything for you?
1: Sadly, the truth is not at all. I joke that, you know, getting on the 10 producers to watch list, I, I, I got a better seat at Mr. Chow's for a week or two. But... Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, sadly not, you know, really, I mean, it's really flattering. I was really excited and happy and very pleased and very honored and flattered that that variety, you know, chose to put me on that list. Um, and, I, you know, I got a, a bunch of emails and phone calls and congratulations and all that. So people did see it and notice it. And it's still in my bio today, you know, it's the last line of my bio, you know. So I'm not at all um, denying that it was a nice feather, you know. but. It didn't really change things. You know, it doesn't put me in a different rank. You know, it doesn't. The studios don't knock on my door. You know, the 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 A-list stars don't all of a sudden kind of uh, come to speak to me. But I actually, you know, there were a couple of things I guess that were a direct, direct result of that. I did get a few phone calls from people that have been helpful to me, uh, relationship-building things that came as a direct result of that. So I guess you're right. Actually, in, in small ways it helped. In small ways it helped. But it wasn't a sea change.
0: When you choose your projects, yes. So talking about the, the the projects that have you know been of note of late in your career. So right. starting with obviously Weirdsville, and moving yeah. on to Defenders, yeah. uh, sorry, Defendor, uh, a Beginner's Guide, um, your most recent movie, The Art of the Steel. Yeah, oh, you're up to
1: speed on the title. Good yeah. for you. That title like a week old. <laughs> nice. Really? Has it yeah. only changed? It's changed four times. <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, I think I'm up to Day on two of the changes. I, I'd like to know what the other two are. But, <laughs> but um, the the choosing of this material and and your process in uh, are, do you just read tons? Are you developing? I mean, wh- how yeah. did how did these projects? And you know, let's specifically talk about Weirdsville and Defendor. And, yep. you know, to start, uh, I'm curious, how did those projects come about in terms of? you know you're finding them and then you're moving on to choosing to package and finance them.
1: Yeah. So let me answer the second question first. Why I choose to do them is absolutely 100% of personal taste. I don't I don't I don't chase the market, I don't sort of look out the, and this might be to my detriment by the way. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I don't sort of look at the market and say, what's working right now? Oh, this is a hot thing. Let me find that. And maybe I should, maybe smarter producers do. But, but for me it's all about personal taste did do, 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 do I love this script do I really really like it and would I pay money to go see this you know if this were if I could see the trailer of this movie would I pay 12 bucks or 15 bucks to go see it and if the answer is yes then I'll try to make it and if the answer is no then you actually cannot and I learned that lesson early in my career when I made my very first movie motel I, uh, I was so excited and happy to be a producer this thing I always wanted and I made my first movie and then somebody on set gave me a script hey would you produce this for me and I didn't really like the script I didn't really get the script I didn't understand it but I was just so enamored with the idea of producing and I finally made my first movie that I tried to get that script made and people turned around and I realized man I'm branding myself I, I'm associating myself with material that I don't even believe in I don't really get I can't support and I've only done that once and it was a big mistake so, so now I'll only try to make something that I, that I read and I say I love this I love it you know
0: did those scripts Come to you, uh, like did they? Did someone submit them? Right. Uh, or did you develop them or an idea? from right. Something offhand. How did that
1: both start? They, they, they both mostly scripts come to me. I've, I've done a handful of things where I've option a book, um, or a magazine article or an idea, but I'd say I'm trying to think. Maybe a hundred percent of what I've actually made so far, and certainly seventy-five percent of what I've developed has been spec scripts brought to me. Um, and so two to, to specific examples with Weirdsville Will Wenneker wrote the script and he's a guy that I'd known for many years well for about five years up to that point and just uh, a guy who worked for me a guy who was my accountant was friends with Will and one day said you should meet this guy Will he's a good writer and Will came in and we met we liked each other we chatted and we had two or three maybe two other scripts but before Weirdsville that I liked and tried to do something with and nothing happened and then he sent me Wearsville, and I just, I loved it, fell in love with it. And that's, so it's so it was, so it was a writer that I'd known for some years, is, is the short answer. And then with Defender, it's an actor. Peter Stebbings, who wrote and directed the film, was, is, was up to that point primarily an actor. And he, I had known him socially a little bit, because he was friends with Michael Mabbitt, who directed um, uh, the Life and Hard Times, a guy terrifico that I made. So i had met him socially a few times. And then he was a, the star of a really small movie I made called The Limb Salesman and we, we got to know each other better over that and at the end of that movie he said Nicholas I've got a script would you read it and, and I said yes and uh, I read it and loved it yeah
0: so when it comes to making those films and your newest movie The Art of the Steel
1: yeah
0: talk about because uh, uh, I'm curious and, I'm, and and if I'm curious about this I'm sure many people two as well people at least at <laughs> two at least two, <laughs> at least two <laughs> other listeners are probably curious yeah. about this as well um, the the what is the most critical element when it comes to getting the project off the ground?
1: Right.
0: I, I, I've often heard, and it, 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 you know, it was a friend of mine who who gave me this analogy that at some critical point, a project takes on a life of its own. It builds a certain amount of momentum, and all of a sudden, it kind of turns from nothing to something. And you right. don't necessarily know when that moment is, but eventually, a project has that kind of critical momentum. When you're Packaging a film and putting a film together. Yeah, w- what is it that in 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 the packaging phase? How do you go about packaging your films? How do you go about you know taking those first few steps to turning the script that you yeah. like into something that has a little bit of gravity behind it?
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. So so before packaging, there's almost always development to be done. You know, a, a, as good as a script is, much as I love it. I, I feel that there's always a place to take it to make it better. So so anywhere from a year to two to three years or so, sometimes, I'll spend just internally with the writer. You know, with the writer and, and, and Leah who works for me in development. Um, so we'll... Work on it together. Try to shape it a bit more. Add something. Lose something. Whatever the case may be. So, I'm, I usually have a script for a minimum of a year before it goes out any further. But then, at the point at which I do feel it's great and strong and excellent, it casts as the next thing. So, to answer your question, okay. that critical path is is almost, or the critical point rather, is almost always cast. It's almost always attaching a piece of cast that is meaningful, that is going to interest financiers that is going to help trigger the film, al- almost always. I mean, I'm trying to think. There, there may be an example where, you know, you've got a chunk of money in with Forecast or, or some other thing. Or, You know, I, I've never, to this point, worked with a name director, worked with great directors, or worked with really, really talented directors, but I haven't ever worked with a P.T. Anderson or a Wes Anderson or a Jason, ba- uh, Jason uh, Reitman-level um, guy. That would also count. So should I ever work with someone like that, That would be the critical point. But up to this point, it's really attaching that that meaningful piece of cast.
0: And how do you go about doing that? What's your. Are you just.
1: You know. Cold calling are these through, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: You're not having drinks with. uh, Kurt Russell you didn't just you didn't just well, call Kurt and say hey let's come c- be part of this movie like what that's Woody what, Allen wasn't just having a that's a coffee what, you do, down that's the what you do the
1: second time so, oh. so the very first time yeah the very first time it's through very traditional means just through the front door as I say it's, it's hire a casting director call the agent make an offer and just you know right through the front door very traditional method um, but you're right though so after that so I've now because I made that movie with Woody Harrelson, I've said a couple things now since then That that I don't have to go through all that rigmarole, and I send it to him. And I, as a courtesy, because his agent has also become a good friend of mine, I send it to Woody, and I send to his agent. And his agent will say, "Look, is this finance?" And I can say now, "It's not, but I'm working on it. I'll put it together. I wanted Woody to get, you know, see if Woody's interested in it first. I couldn't have done that the first time, but now I can do that. Same with Kurt. I haven't sent Kurt anything yet, but I can do that now. So it becomes a bit of a uh, you build that relationship, right? And now it's not just those individuals." So those agents? So, for example, you know, Kurt Russell's agent. I've hired his client. I treated him well. He had a good time on set. I paid him exactly when I said I would, without any delays. Paid him promptly. Paid him the full amount. Got him the flight and you know, all that. So, so his agent knows that I'm good for my word and I treat people well and I, you know, I'm going to produce the movie I say I'll produce. So when I call his agent up and he's got a dozen, twenty great clients and other actors. I can say, hey, Michael, I've got something for so and so, even if it isn't Kurt. And now that that project is going to be received at a higher level than it would be if we were strangers to each other, so it's all about every film you make, you you add to your level of uh, number of contacts, you know.
0: In terms of once you have this this package, yeah, your script, your cast, um, the financing challenge of films today. Yeah. I know every film has a million different ways that they can get financed. So yeah. I think the the, the the question, how do you finance a film, is kind of a meaningless question in and of itself. So I, I, I don't want to bore you with that question specifically. <laughs> yeah.
1: bore, bore me with a different one.
0: I'm going to bore you with a different question. Um, <laughs> but I'm glad this is boring. Is <laughs> boring?
1: <laughs> not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I jest. I jest. You didn't jest. You didn't jest. Okay.
0: Um, uh, the, okay, so the, the, the other boring question yeah. is... Um, once you, you know you, you set up, set upon to finance your film, yeah. do you find that financing your film now in today's climate? Uh, because everything is shifting, mm. I, I feel everything is shifting so radically right now.. Yeah. Um, do you find that the way you go about doing what you have historically done for the last decade, just even within the last year has changed dramatically. The established way of financing a movie, um, to yeah. me, it seems has just you know gone through this tremendous, tremendous change, and I, I'm curious to get your, your perspective on on that.
1: Well, I, I this yes and no. The specifics of how they're financed, like the detail how they're financed, like exactly which parties, which amounts. Yes, that that's always in flux, and there's no same way things happen you know twice. But the, the, the part that I would say it's exactly the same is that, it's, it's sort of that, that there is never a formula, you know, that, that, that you're always kind of, you, it's at least in the indie world that I exist in, it's always piecemeal. It's always a minimum of four or five, sometimes six or seven different financial uh, investors that are, you know, little piece here, little piece there. It's a, it's a gap loan, it's a tax credit from at least one source, if not two different sources. Mm-hmm. It's um, some pre-sales. It's um, it's uh, some e- equity. You know, it's a bit of subsidy money. It's putting all these pieces together. So for every film that I've ever made, that's never changed. Now the individual participants and the amounts that is constantly in flux. But the idea of going out there and talking to thirty parties in order to get five of them to step up with a bit of a piece of the financing. 20% on this guy and 30 over here and 15 over there. That's always been the case. My sort of dream is to have like a single financier. I love the idea of studio financing where you can go and say Warner Brothers is paying for the movie, you know, <coughs> or Paramount is paying for the movie. Because then I feel like <coughs> excuse me. All this time and energy that I spend doing banking and doing legal work and doing, you know, actually you're very good at that stuff. All that all that stuff that 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 you do as well very well, Jesse is um, to take that off my plate and I can have like Paramount here's a check for 30 million dollars now you go make a movie that's like a that it's a dream that have not happened to me yet but that's the dream I'm looking forward to
0: what was the hardest financial challenge that you've had putting I, I guess any of your, your movies together right. what, 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 what was the hardest thing uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious like did you have yeah. like, a, like a piece of financing fallout the day yes. before you started production at the yes. winding point yeah, yeah
1: uh, several points um Maybe, and I think I can talk pretty publicly about this now, uh, so I will. <laughs> um, the the one that was kind of most devastating was um, I had made a few pictures with ThinkFilm, uh, like in the mid two thousands, you know. And I was I was friendly and close to the executives over there, and I liked everybody, and we had a good relationship. So when it came to Defender, I took I took Defender to Think. And they like the script. They like me. They like Peter. They like Woody Harrelson. And it was a good number, great. And it was almost what I was talking about. It wasn't quite, you know, fully financed, but it was it was a solid chunk that was paying for the world. You know, and I added the adding tax credits, adding a bit of equity, and it was a nice, pretty clean and simple deal. And then ThinkFilm gets bought, and the guy who bought the company it turned out to be quite unreliable, and turned out to be. Um, uh, not fiscally responsible, and all of a sudden, that think uh, think film agreement, uh, I couldn't bank. So, so w- you know, without boring some of the listeners who may not know the details, the you know you get a contract from a company, and all they do is give you a piece of paper. And then you take a piece of paper to the bank, and the bank gives you actual hard cash. And it's that second part of the process. Or I still had the contract, but the contract became sort of quote unquote worthless I couldn't, I couldn't do anything with it um, so that was really difficult so I had a fully financed picture that, that and I had my cast and all of a sudden I was ready to go and it all fell apart all of a sudden so and, and variations of that have happened in almost every film that you've got a piece you lose a piece you've got you think you've got X amount of money then it turns out you have only three quarters of X something changes but, but that one was, was pretty devastating and, and that one really kind of shook it down and I had to rebuild it from, from scratch
0: you had to rebuild the entire financing. Yeah, because
1: that, that entire pot went away. So I had to get foreign money, and then and I went down two or three different roads for that, and it was, you know, yeah, yeah, it, was, it, was, uh, it took some rebuilding.
0: How important is uh, foreign financing now in terms of your uh, overall structure? Essential. essential. Pre-sales, so are you pre-selling a lot of what essential. you're doing
1: right now? Yeah. I've never made a movie without a foreign component. Right. Yeah.
0: And how involved are you once the film is delivered? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you try and do you do you... Just I, focus on making the film and then handing no, it off. And, no, you no. Know, I, mean,
1: I mean, I'm kind of forced into that position sometimes because I don't have the right or the authority or the ability to handle the release, obviously, the distributors do. But I will be every bit as involved as they let me and probably more than they want me to be. It matters to me a great deal. So I will fight and argue for the trailer, for the poster, for the release plan, for the release size, because it's essential. It matters so much, you know? And distributors... Obviously, they know their business is what they do. They know better than I do. But they don't care as much. And, and I don't say that in any negative, denigrating way, because nor should they care as much. You know, I mean, I don't care about the distributor's second film. I only care about one of the distributor's film, which is mine, right? So I don't care about their business. They don't care about my business. That's how it works, you know? So, um, but yeah, I, I, would l- I like to be involved as much as I'm allowed to be involved.
0: And for you then... Wh- I guess once once the film has been delivered, yeah. do you feel that from a marketing perspective, are you involved in actually physically doing or working with others outside the distribution to market your own films? That is to say, today when people yeah. make films, it seems that the idea of audience building right. on your own has become this critical aspect of making a movie where you're not just making movie you are actually working to yeah. you know spread the awareness and the campaign of of, of your own movie and even you know distributors yeah. are, are going to more of a you know a grassroots sort of yeah. mentality to, uh, as well um, just any thoughts on that well it's on that? It, it, you know
1: I'm not the best guy to answer that question I'll get a much better answer from someone who's um, who plays that game better than I do it's definitely one of my weak spots it's where I probably fall a little short and it's probably just because
0: Are you tired at that point? Is that like uh, just because you? No, no, it's not. No, but I mean that in a very respectful way. Like you've gone through. No, 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 no.
1: no. I totally understand how you made the question, and and, and it's not that. It's not an exhaustion thing. It's a. It's really a personal thing. Is that, on a personal level, I don't like Facebook. I'm on it because I sort of feel you have to be. I I I literally haven't changed my Facebook photo since the day I signed on seven years ago. Whatever, you know. It's almost become false advertising now that photo's so old. Uh, I've never ever put in a, the status bar whatever that's called whatever I don't even know what it's called I um, I never update things I go on once or twice uh, once every couple of months I am again I'm on Twitter because I feel like you have to be I've sent six tweets over the past two years I've been on it it's just not a world I play in I don't enjoy it I don't like it um so I should be better at it and I, you're right there is a whole grassroots social marketing thing make, on, on the current film they are the steel it's the first time that I actually have a social marketing component I've got a tweeter, uh, tweeter. see that's how bad I am <laughs> I've got a Twitter account, I've got a Facebook page, and I have someone hired who is doing that for me. You,
0: so you have hired... Yes,
1: a social you, marketing person.
0: And by you, we're specifically talking about Darius Films and Nicholas of yes. your company, you yes. have hired yes. internally yes. a social marketing...
1: For as, the film. For the film. Yeah, not, not, yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, not obviously full-time for your company, but, you, but you've specifically correct. invested in hiring somebody dedicated to social marketing. Correct,
1: correct, correct. And... So what she is doing, uh, her name is Martine, and she's doing a great job. What she's doing is, with the material that she has, which, you know, at this point, when the film is in post, isn't a tremendous amount, but she is diligently, sort of every week, putting out a new tweet. And, you know, little things, like it's Terrence Stamp's birthday. A happy birthday to Terrence Stamp from the team at Heart of the Steel, you know? Or, you know, Catherine Winnick, one of our cast members, she had a television series premiere on two days ago, Sunday, uh, The Vikings. So we send out a tweet, you know, congratulations to Catherine for the premiere. You know, it's a, a huge, huge, um, um, uh, uh, what's that word I'm looking for? TV series, number of people that watch it. Ratings. Here's a big ah. rating success. Thank you. Sorry. Right. You can cut out that big pause. Um, it was no, no big
0: I think we will leave that in. That's okay, thanks. That's That's you're good. embarrassing me. Yeah, yeah. No, no.
1: Um, <laughs> so, 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 you know, it had a huge rating. So we send out a tweet, you know, congratulations All to right. Catherine Winnick on your rating success, the Vikings. So we do little things like that. Um, and
0: it's funny because it, it's funny that you should say that, or uh, just specifically about hiring somebody. Because right. I was just looking at um, the social, uh, the, the social presence for Oblivion,
1: right? Yeah, Tom Cruise's new movie. Yes, yes, right? yes, 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 and it,
0: yes. It's just astounding to me to see w- even what the studios are doing with that yeah. movie because they went. In in December they didn't have a page, no. and in January they had fifty thousand followers. Wow. Oh, okay, sure, fifty thousand followers. Yeah. I'm wow. You know, like I, I I don't know how much of that is actually real followers. I don't know. Yeah. But still, yeah, there is clearly a massive emphasis that is put on building yeah. that social campaign. So yeah. that's an interesting shift. Yeah. In, in terms of the, even the distribution for your films, or do you fall into the camp of kind of that this you know the 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 super VOD model where I mean films like Arbitrage more recently and uh, that have done you know 12 million in the box office but also you know much more on VOD do you you I'm
1: still suspicious of that Uh, what do you mean by suspicious I, I still feel that people want to see films in different formats at different times and I still feel that there is a a lingering and a long lingering—I think it's a whole generation away—perception that a movie that you can see on TV immediately has less value and is less important and less special than a movie that you have to drive into a, you know, across town a park and pay to see in a theater. Now, having said that, I would love the success of Arbitrage. Arbitrage has made more money than any of my films have, so so there's no knock in that picture. It's done extremely well. But for my movies and and, and the, they because because going back to a question a couple of questions ago, because I don't have the ultimate control, some of my films have gone the VOD theatrical window at the same time. But I don't love it. And if I, if I had the choice, I would want all my films to have a theatrical and follow 90 day later or whatever. I don't really care about the number of days, but sixty days, fifty days, whatever, coming on VOD and then D V D and then pay T V, whatever the case may be. But I still feel like the VOD same-day in theaters somehow diminishes the theatrical value.
0: Do you have a plan right now for The Art of the Steel? Do you know what it's going to be, or is that still a discussion point?
1: It's a discussion point. And it's funny after you say that, because there was supposed to be a call this morning with uh, with the wines and company who's releasing it here in the U.S., and with um, Alliance, or E1 now, who's releasing it in Canada. We're all supposed to talk this morning. and we, The call got pushed for... for for scheduling purposes, but but hopefully in a week's time I'll know that. So I don't I don't know that answer at the moment.
0: Yeah. And are you leaning? I guess you're leaning towards what you, I, I you would just like, mentioned. But I
1: would like the traditional window rollout. Yeah. 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 But you know the the Weinstein Company in Dimension, they're one of the. Have big they seen the film? Is there, is there oh, a they're big. Yet? They love the film. They oh, love great. The film. Yeah.
0: And but, is there a release date set for it yet? No.
1: No. No. But they they are big proponents of this VOD SVOD. The, collapse window model so I think it's very possible film won't get what I want they'll <laughs> get what they want
0: <laughs> and what's next for you in terms of I mean you mentioned going back to where we started the conversation yeah. being things that are in development that you spend a lot of time yeah. in development I'm sure you, you've got a long list of projects that are yeah. potentially coming down the pipe What can you, can you talk about any of the sure
1: I did learn long ago uh, not to talk too much about stuff in development because it's such a you know, it's probably a ten to one ratio at best. So I don't like sort of talking about things, and then a year, two, three years later, they will never come to fruition. It's like whatever happened to blah blah blah, you know. And uh, I never put things in development IMDb because it's like you, you're setting yourself up for failure. You know, you're setting yourself up for embarrassment because whatever you put up there, there's a ten percent chance it's going to get made. It's just the reality of business, you know. So I won't talk about specifics, but 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 in generalities. Uh, Jonathan and I Jonathan Sobel who, who wrote and directed The Art of Steel and Beginner's Guide to before that his next script I'm really really excited by it's another heist movie but it, with a really different twist on it really fun I really love that uh, Peter Stabbing to The Defender he and I have something in fact we spoke this morning about it he and I have something that we're doing together that I think is really fun um, so I got a handful of things and, and, and some things that I can talk about because they're imminent and I think there's a 95% chance they'll go um, I've got a picture uh, shooting it probably within the next 8 weeks called uh, The Intruders that Adam Massey is directing who I've worked with before and um, it's sort of a, a classic haunted house you know kind of movie uh, young girl moves into a house with her widowed father and strange things are going on and and, and no one believes her but her and so forth so, um, so that looks like it's coming I'm, I'm uh working on another film that's shooting in before that uh, called the uh, the calling uh, uh, Jason Stone really talented young director is directing Randy Manis is producing and I'm working with him. Uh with fantastic cast, Susan Sarandon, Donald Sutherland, Topher Grace, Alan Burstyn. So, so it's a busy period. I've got my next 6 months are really packed and I'm doing a lot of television these days too. So,
0: that's great. And yeah. w- what would you say is I guess of all the films you've done what's been the hardest day on set what day oh on what movie did you just feel the whole thing like the world was just collapsing around you and what did you do about that
1: um it's a tough question I've probably blocked out a lot you know the worst misery of it all I will say this that the really devastating bad news the world falling apart usually happens in prep not in shooting because it's sort of like the train can be derailed in prep; it can't be derailed in shooting because you're just too far into it, you know. So yeah, I mean, things can be bad. You know, you can, you can, you can be over budget. You can go long. Th- your actor can be difficult, to, and all, all of those things have happened to me. But the more, but you're you're ma- you're making the movie at that point. You know, the movie is going to get made. You know. Um, it's really prep and development where it feels like I've spent two, three years working on this. I've got 90% there. I've been putting 14 hours a day of this, and it's not going to happen. It's all falling apart, and all my time is wasted. That doesn't really happen once you're shooting. Once you're shooting, you know you're going to get through it one way or the other. I guess okay. So that's my vague answer. My specific answer, and as I was saying it out loud, it's sort of it, one of those one of those uh, repressed memories. Thank you for bringing out of me, therapist. <laughs> one of those repressed awful memories I have and I definitely will not mention names this time um, we had an actor come come to set, and uh, and he was a name actor as part of our financing so he was an integral actor and he um, he was going through some personal problems and uh, and he wouldn't he wouldn't come out of the trailer and we were supposed to shoot, and we were—we were—I we were, uh, have a crew waiting. We've got our—we've got our, our call list. He's on the call list. We've got our sides. Everyone's standing by. The other cast are waiting, and he just—he—he—he he, he wouldn't get to the trailer, and he ended up flying home back to Los Angeles that very day. So it was this huge. is your,
0: this is your lead or one of your leads yeah, of the movie. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> we had to recast. So it was pretty devastating, actually. We we had to reshoot that day entirely. I mean, it sounds ridiculous now that I'm thinking about it all.
0: Was the movie bonded?
1: The movie was not bonded. Oh uh, God, I, I was, so what we did was we, we, we completely scrambled the, the, the rest of the week shooting. We moved everything the actor wasn't in to other scenes that day. <clears throat> we couldn't do it all. So we actually, it sounds ridiculous, we actually got a generic double because we didn't know who our new actor was even going to look like and put him in the wardrobe and shot him from behind. So we did half the scene of the other actor in the scene talking. And that poor actor, and again, I won't mention his name, even though he was a champion, but only by mentioning his name, he'd be sure he'd be able to piece together the other parties. But that other actor talked to a double who wasn't even speaking lines back to him, and it was wonderful and really tattled in stride. And then a day or two later, we flipped around and shot the other guys. So it was a terrible way to do it. <laughs> what what the only reason we got through that was that the, the 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 actor who left his agent realized how devastating a position we were in, and he moved very very quickly, and he helped us recast the film within 24 hours mm-hmm. with another name of equal value, like a a well known actor that 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 was you know being in big big movies, and uh, and he was on a plane in 24 hours. So yeah, it, so that was the the biggest um, the most devastating earth shattering rocking thing that I've ever had to deal with
0: and the train kept on moving and train kept on moving the, and the film got delivered the
1: films in the can the film got delivered you'd never miss it I think for the most part
0: speaking of delivering films uh, you that film wasn't bonded correct uh, have any very recent films been bonded yes yeah,
1: yeah. I, I with all due respect to the Bond Company and, and, I, and I and I and I liked everybody over there and they're good people and they serve a very valuable purpose because I come from the physical production world and because I know that so well, I, when I whenever the bank lets me, I don't bond my pictures because I feel like I'm going to self-bond. And, you know, saving hundreds of thousands of dollars, bonds aren't cheap, you know. So I sort of self-bond whenever I'm allowed to.
0: Any final thoughts that you might have just in terms of, you know, the, the big question that I guess yeah. that in, in terms of the... the the projects that you like to do versus the commercial stuff. Yes. You always say you 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 make movies from, you know, the things that you're yeah. excited about doing personally, which is obviously great. Uh, and you know, I think you are obviously clearly very lucky to have had the successful career and the growing successful no. career that Re- that you relatively
1: that you say relatively to have. successful. No, yeah. you
0: listen. It, it, it's. Making one movie is hard enough, you know. No, the, right, the fact that right. you 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 you've made many is 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 you know well, is, is amazing. Correct. So to say. Um, well, that's my job. I have to say nice. <laughs> <Right. things. laughs> right. Otherwise, right. you wouldn't take this interview. But in terms of you know really commercial, because you can, you're originally from Canada, but now yep. you work pretty much exclusively here in the states. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. your offices are, are based here. Do you find that when it comes to making movies with a commercial? That sort of the thesis yeah. of making a commercial film um, seems to be extremely sharp down here right. in, in, in in L.A. versus maybe anywhere else in the world just because yeah. L.A. is so exposed to, and the people here are so exposed to making yeah. you know, commercially driven films yeah. that they feel will do well in the box office. Yes. Do you feel that in the movies that you select and read and look to make in the future... That those movies, or the movies that you look to make, uh, are you ever challenged on the commerciality of of, of Yeah, movie? oh yeah.
1: And All what the do you, time.
0: So so what do you? I mean, because none of these movies, from a yeah. logline perspective, no, you know, none of them sell easily. No. So
1: no, it, the, the the phrase that I'm that I'm, that I'm constantly uh, mm. accosted with, which drives me nuts, is that whenever I send somebody a project, the 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 the, the the response is it always, it's execution-dependent. And I find that so funny. because what they're saying, and, and, and that's a bad thing. They say execution-dependent, meaning, you know, so, but when, when you when you think of what the definition of that means is, what they're really saying is, well, it has to be well-made then, as opposed to, you know what, oh, even if it's badly made, it'll still work. And that's really what they mean. You know, like if you have uh, a slash-em, not slash-em, but, you know, like a horror genre thing, girl trapped in the woods in a cabin... Uh, and no knock on those films that have been made People are making those kind of movies but it's like that isn't execution dependent because as long as you've got a girl and she's sexy and you as long as you've got an ugly guy with a knife and you've got a remote cabin in the woods yeah I can, I can, I can sell that you know I can put that on a post I can go down to the, the lows of at AFM and sell that movie um, and I don't want to make those movies you know it's like so what I hear is it's execution dependent which means well it only works if it's good. And my answer is, well, of course, but I don't want to make a movie that works even if it's not good. I only want to make good movies, you know? So, I'm, I'm, yes, it's been a thorn in my side my entire career. And, and, and look, I'm not being um, being uh, uh, disingenuously self-effacing or self-deprecating. I'm being very, very sincere about this. I am simply not as commercially, financially successful as I could or might be, or as other producers are, who are chasing the market, you know, like to use to, use, to use sort of like the very top of that mountain. And, and again, this is with with complete respect for 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 their ability and respect uh, and, and abilities rather. Is like you take like an Avi learner, I think an Avi learner doesn't really care about the script. Isn't doing it because he loves that piece of material or reads a script and loves it. Avi learner is very very smart about what. What can I make for ten million that I know I can sell for twelve? You know, what can I what can I pre-sell for twelve that then I can go and make for ten, even better, right? And he's built a really successful, smart business over that. And he's he's a very smart guy, and he's a decent guy, and all of those things. But I'm never going to be an Abby learner because uh, you know uh, I don't I, I don't want I, I don't want to make I don't want to make a movie just because it's going to cost ten and sell for twelve. You know. Well, thank you very much. You're very welcome. I, I, yeah.
0: Nicholas Tabarrok. Jesse Eichmann. Are <laughs> we <laughs> going to do this again sometime soon? Anytime. Maybe around, we'll, we'll have to have you back on the show that for uh, uh, for after The Art of the Steel and maybe, sure. uh, maybe whatever the next one is. I'm I'm looking forward to the movie.
1: And like I said at the beginning of my interview, the next time I want to be on camera like all the DPs, I'm jealous. You, you only want my voice. What does that say about me?
0: And maybe you should become a voice actor. Yeah, all right. We'll see. <laughs> all right. Thanks.
1: All right. Thank you.